Welcome to Val FH Stuttgart Americana, an American-based English language Val FH Stuttgart fan podcast where our views are unofficial, uninformed, and usually unprepared. This is episode 49, and joining me almost as always is Matt. Matt, how are you doing? I'm doing well today, Travis. How are you? I'm doing well, too. It's uh, your 21st episode, and like we've been doing the last couple episodes, let's go through some Stuttgart players of the past few years and see... Which one is your favorite number 21? Let's do it. (laughs) The excitement is palpable. (laughs) All right. Much like this guy was palpable, uh, the first one, the most recent, was Philip Clement. Played for about three years for uh, Stuttgart, 40-some games, a couple goals. Was with Paderborn when they were promoted and had the (laughs) the unlucky signing of signing with us right when we got relegated. Then you've got Benjamin Pavard, who played for about four years. Almost 90 games, a couple of goals, sold to Bayern for 30 plus million dollars. And I'm going to throw Adam Huslek up there just because when I started playing FIFA many years ago, he was on the roster. So he played from 14 to 16, uh, 30 games. And neither of us saw Philip Lom, but he was number 21 in the early 2000s. You know, famous German player, played for Bayern for many years, the German national team. But he did play 70 some games for Stuttgart. Of those, I'm just going to include the three because Philip Lawn's a little too easy. Which one of those yeah. is your fave? I'm going to go with Philip Clement mm-hmm. uh, because every time I hear his name, I am reminded of this commercial from the 1990s that was on ESPN around uh, playoff NHL hockey where they made fun of one of their uh, hosts of their show named Bill Clement saying he was Clement, Clement, hands of cement. And so I always, every time I see Phil Clement, I think Clement, Clement, boots of cement. And it makes me smile. That makes more sense because when he was on the team, you would make these boots of cement comments. And I just thought, God, that's a clever rhyme. I didn't know you had stolen it. No, why? And why explain a joke when I can just make it and have everybody be confused? Especially when you don't have to make it up. You can just borrow it from somebody else there. Yeah, there you I, go. I always liked Phil Clement because I always, he seemed like a guy that was going to be really helpful for us and really kind of be a difference maker and just just never panned out only two goals in uh, 47 games and he was a star with Paderborn when he helped them get up but for whatever reason he's he fits into that category of of number 10 type players for us that just Mm -hmm. never pans out whether it's (laughs) Daniel Dadavi, Philip Clement, uh, Maxime, uh, just some of these guys even Omar Baez seems to be in that same category for whatever reason the classic attacking number 10 um, just doesn't pan out for this team. And so Clemente, I think Pavard is probably the, uh, you know, Pavard, of the ones that we watched is clearly the best one, but his exit was so sour that I really yeah. went from loving the guy to almost putting him in Mark Oliver Kemp territory when it was all said and done. Totally. I, Kemp really followed the Pavard, I'm going to pout and be a brat on the field. Um, playbook in leaving and just seeing Pavard play so well for us and then play so so well for the national team and then come back to Stuttgart for his national team for the French national team and then come back to Stuttgart with this I'm better than all of you air while he was one of our worst defenders on the field because he could not be bothered to try was so frustrating and then watching him with Byron this weekend and like you said he just played so well for the French national team when they won Big time. And his, 
his record is stellar. He's got Bundesliga title, titles, Pokal titles, a Champions League title. He's got a World Cup title. So, I mean, I don't think he's going to be crying many tears if somebody tells him, hey, there's two Americans who, uh, who yeah. like Philip Clement better than you. Well, it was interesting to hear Derek Ray say on the broadcast, too, that he's been making noise that he feels he should be a starting center back and feels that he's being misused at Bayern by playing a wing back role and it's maybe he's just one of these malcontents who's going to do this everywhere he goes yeah it is kind of interesting he's a young guy well let's jump into part one and talk about the big match the surprising draw at Bayern Munich uh we knew going into the match because the Friday match was Bochum versus Bielefeld that we control our own de destiny Bielefeld had a late own goal that uh, in the 89th minute that ended up sinking them. So if we somehow got a point, we'd all but secure at least uh, safety from direct relegation, but we were playing Bayern. So going into this one, there was criticism against Bayern because of how they had played against Mainz the week before. Then they had taken that vacation to Spain after that loss. And so Nagelsmann made no uh, errors about it. He was gonna play his A lineup. They were going for the win. They're gonna have the trophy presentation. Uh, there was a couple uh, players that were leaving, and so the, it was a big celebration for them. I was so worried that I wanted Mata to rest a couple of our guys that were on uh, four yellow cards because you get your fifth, you're suspended. I wanted to rest Endo and Sosa because I was like, we're just going to get blown out of this one. Uh, shows shows what I know. Were you feeling like I was feeling going into this one, or did you have a little bit more confidence? I, I was torn, and we talked about this a little bit last week, um, and I – I could see see it from your end and did not disagree with your analysis at all. But at the same time, I was kind of like, you don't want to sit your boys down and say, look, guys, you're going to get annihilated here. So we're just going to like, you know, walk out onto the field and scream not in the face and hope, especially going into then a huge match that we have this weekend with Colm. So I, I, I was a little more leaning towards like, let's put our best foot forward and see what happens. But if, if Mata had rested those guys on the yellow cards, I would not have complained at all. Yeah, it, uh, it turned out obviously to be the, the right decision. Let's just jump right into the game. A, a couple talking points. Let's start with luck. We've whined a lot on this podcast about how unlucky Stuart has been. So after Us? The, yeah, no. Whine? What? <laughs> so after the match, lucky or unlucky? Which one would you say? It was Stuttgart lucky in this one to get the draw to two or unlucky not to get the win? What was your take? I, I think there's a there's a little from column A and a little from column B. We were <laughs> unlucky to miss. There were a few sitters that just should have gone in. And it's becoming a theme with Omar Marmouche that like, dude, you have got to bury that. Right. And some of that I think is him getting a little cute when he gets in front of net and some is just like he misses and I, I don't know what to make of that. But at the same time, we got real lucky uh, in our own end a few times when uh, players like Thomas Muller put one viciously off the post that bicycle kick that he did. Um, that could have been a backbreaker when that happened and they had some other shots that were just missed some some really just poor passing on them. Um, but then our defenders were also they played pretty well in this game and, and broke down the, the Bayern attack and stopped them from doing some of the stuff they really wanted to do. So was, I, I think we definitely 
if we had won, uh, I feel like we would have deserved that. But at the same time, I don't feel bad at all about the the tie result. Right. I'm I'm going to go complete luck on this one. I was texting uh, you and then uh, Jeff will be on next episode that this could have been five to one Bayern before halftime. And you would have been like, yeah, uh, yeah. It's, it, they hit the woodwork, I think, three times. Talk about that Mueller shot. Thinking way more about the post-game celebration than the actual game itself. And Derek Ray made the comment a couple times that Bayern likes to play a really, really high line. And you can do that, but if you do that, you got to be really dialed in mm. and really aware of what the opposing team's attackers are doing. And they weren't. And Marmouche was punishing them for that. Right. Uh, to, to his great credit and, and uh, Tomas as well, they were taking well-timed runs. We were getting balls out of the midfield, which is something we were not doing last week or the week before that or the week before that. <laughs> um, so it was, it was really great to see uh, Shukart settle into this kind of counterattack role, which we have really loved to play the last couple of years under Matarazzo. Well, like I said, in hindsight, it was the perfect plan against your team is going to bring it like this. And you saw the speed of Tiago and the speed of Omar up there and Kalajic able to hold the ball up. And it was just, it was perfect. But the man of the match when everything was said and done was somebody who we've always praised constantly on this episode, Florian Mueller. Uh, he had a 2.0 rating from kicker. It was impossible to disagree with that. So let's just talk a second about Flo Mueller. He played out of his mind on that particular day. He got lucky and you got to have some luck, but yeah. he had the save at the end of the match against Wolfsburg that probably saved the game. He played amazing this match. I mean, is, is this just lightning in a bottle with this guy? Is this the trend that's going to keep going or should we just shut up and enjoy it? While here? Well, Travis, as I always say, always trust a Florian. You cannot go wrong with a Florian. <laughs> Um, I, I have no idea what like, that, that leaping grab he made against the, the Muller shot was amazing. Like, I don't think it, it even seemed like he didn't expect it really until he caught it. And then he was walking around with a lot of swagger in his box, which was <laughs> you know great to see. You kind of want that out of your keeper. The first goal that Byron scored, I did feel like it was, I was watching going, oh, all right, well, there he is. It was a late reaction on a shot that he was a little bit out of position on, which has been the book on him all season. Right. Um, but yeah, by and large, he played really, really well. Yeah, I, I was ready to criticize him on the Tomas Mueller goal. And then I saw it on replay, and you're just like, that's hats on to that guy. Yeah. It, it was just a great goal. There, yeah, so if, if this team is going to have a chance, it's going to need him to step up. And he, he played just just great because I said Mueller had multiple chances. Lewandowski had a chance towards the end. Mueller was just all there all the time. And at the end of it's funny because let's do the stats right now. So the XG was uh, three and a half for Bayern. It was two for Stuttgart. They there were 22 shots for Bayern, but there were 15 for Stuttgart. Corners were seven to four for Bayern. Shots on target seven to five. Florian had six saves that game. I mean, I think I have to look it up, but I think that's the most saves he's had all year. And our defense, it's funny. Uh, the kicker rated the defense. They all rated awful. Dino was a four. Anton was a four. Ito was a four, five. George was a four, five. This is kind of the first time I disagree with kicker because the way that I saw this match play out is Mata said, you guys are going to run, run, run. We're going to go full out pace all the time. 
And I didn't think these guys can maintain that for a full 90 minutes. You saw yeah. uh, Chris Church, for example, he was gassed and he was getting burned by Davies over and over and over again. Yeah. At the end, yeah, but I, I do want to give Furch a lot of credit for the first uh, 60 minutes. Yeah. He kept Alfonso Davies largely in check, which is a huge task. No, it, it, I guess that was my point is that they were able to maintain it and they were able to use all this pace and all this speed to try to mess with what Byron was trying to do. And this goes back to what this team has shown pretty much all year long is that I don't know if the talent or the tactics are spot on, but I do know the mentality and the fight is there. And yeah. you saw it in that match. And when Fierich came off in the 63rd minute, you're just like, okay, that guy has left every single thing he has on the pitch. So going back to the kicker ratings, even though they were pretty low for the defense, Endo and, uh, had a 2-5, Carazor had a 3-5, so those, they were pretty good. I just thought the all-out hustle. I remember I fist-pumped when Endo had a particular tackle late in the game. And I, I didn't want him to do it because I was worried he'd get a yellow card or whatever. But right. He was just all over the pitch. It was just awesome to see all those guys just with some luck stop iron, but like Dino getting that red card basically because of his actions um, late in the match, get under Byron's skin a little bit too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, it was, I, I don't agree with the ratings, but I can see where kicker came up with them. Byron had a ton of pressure. They got a lot of shots off. They were as much as our defense was disrupting some of what they wanted to do. They were, mostly doing what they wanted and I, I do remember thinking at a couple different points in the game that it feels like once Byron are in the attacking third that they slow down where our guys speed way up it's like Byron gets there and they go okay uh, let's play with these guys and see how we want to put it in the net not if we can get a goal but how we want to score it mm -hmm. um, it's almost like uh, if you were an NBA fan back in the I think it was the 90s or the early 2000s, the Phoenix Suns ran this particular style of fast break offense. And it was based on this thing called the seven seconds. And the theory was is that a basketball team doesn't set up their defense 10 to eight, eight to 10 seconds to do it. So mm -hmm. if you can get down the, the court and get a shot up within seven seconds, you'll have the advantage because they won't be prepared. And it was almost like Sugar was trying to do that. It's just go, go, go make sure that uh, Byron isn't prepared. Their defense is a little leaky to begin with. And it uh, just worked, you know, with a little bit of luck and a little bit of uh, tactics. It just worked, you know, perfectly there. The, the one thing I do want to talk about before we move on is um, the Sosa to Sasha connection. Yeah, it was there again. Um, it was awesome to see. Kalajic missed what could have been, you know, a game winner, but he had a great header. Yep. I think that I really enjoyed was when you watch Sosa prepare for a free kick, it's almost like watching Aaron Rodgers or watching uh, LeBron James when they're coming out of the court or they're coming out of the huddle and you can see their eyes scanning everywhere. Yeah. And watching Sosa's eyes scan where he's going to try to you know, put this ball, and it's usually not rocket science. It's wherever that six-foot-six Austrian right. is. Right. But I just thought it was so cool. He played so well. Kalaji got off the schneid a bit. We're not going to have those guys much longer. So anytime we can celebrate what they've done, this is a great way to celebrate it. Yeah, absolutely. And it, I, I was during that kind of build up to that play, uh, Sosa put two or three balls in the, to Sasa that did not work out, and I was – just thinking like, man, we cannot force this. Byron knows that's what we're going to do. 
like as good as those two guys are, the Bayern defenders are good enough. They're going to like, we've got to find, use that as a decoy and we've got to do something else. And then boom, it happened and it worked. I was like, well, uh, that's why I'm here on my couch. And there are other people who get paid a lot of money to, <laughs> to do this stuff properly. That's right. We have never criticized Mueller, Moderato, Kalajic, anybody. Nope. At all. All, all positive all the time. And if Kemp and Pavar come back to Stuttgart, we love you guys. <laughs> Just like we always have. <laughs> it, I do want to throw this out there, though. This was kind of funny. At some point, Derek Ray said, uh, leading the Stuttgart attack is Koulibaly is the striker and Eric Tommy and Philip Forrester are in support on offense. And I thought yeah. that was one of the most scary sentences I've ever heard. I'm a big Derek Ray fan. I thought he was great in this game and Wait. shout out to Derek Ray in general for being great. And his Twitter feed is a must follow mm -hmm. for just kind of generally what's happening in the German game. But yeah, I'm with you hearing uh, him spit out those three names together as being our front three. I was like, Oh my God, like that. I would worry about that in the second division. That's, that's <laughs> not a trio you want to rely on. If Koulibaly had a one-on-one, -on -one, I would like to see it just to see what chaos would ensue and then yeah. i'm pretty sure philip forcer would trip him somehow even though it was a one-on-one -on -one because you know forcer had a couple chances that you know he's Phil forcer that he didn't have success on but the thing that i liked about cool Bali, i think i liked about forcer we know he does this and, and tommy's making a late surge is they went out and they hustled and they ran yeah. around and they created we use the word chaos all the time, but they created chaos on offense and all that stuff. So it was a tense game. It was a dramatic game. Had Stuttgart scored a winner, I had promised that I would buy a Tommy slash Koulibaly <laughs> slash Forrester kit. So I didn't do that yet, but- Dodged a bullet there. Yeah, the, the Stuttgart store was going to be making a little bit of cash on me. I want to talk about Forrester just for a second real quick. I, I think I realized why uh, I find him so frustrating. Forrester looks like we do. And I think Forrester's not, he's not real good, but he tries real hard all the time. And he is what we would be if we had a little bit more talent and dedication <laughs> and work rate. Like, not that great, but good enough. And like, when you're watching a first division Bundesliga team, you want to see players who are capable of incredible things. And Furster is just not that dude. And he's, he's good at what he does. He works really hard. Uh, he plays his guts out for Stuttgart and God love him for that. But he's just, he, he's, he's dad out there, yeah, which isn't great. It's tough because you want to root for the guy because uh, his story is actually a really, really great story. And, but it's interesting because when he starts, he brings a lot of defensive speed to the match. And when he comes on as a sub, he's got enough pace that him at 100%, he's as fast or faster than some of those guys that are maybe at 90% at that point. Yeah. But he just can't finish. And we've had players before like Mateo Klimowitz and Philip Clement that we talked about earlier that don't even put themselves in the position to finish. So at least he right. puts himself in that spot. Um, but I think it's, you're right. He, he is what he is at this point. Matarazzo can tell us that he makes those plays in practice, but it for two, three years now, we've seen what actually happens on the pitch. I don't think anybody would root against him and hope you know, that he doesn't have some 
you know, torrid scoring streak at some point. Right. Uh, I don't know if the Forrester jerseys are going to be flying off the shelves. Yeah, I, I've just I've gone from being actively frustrated that he's even part of the team to just accepting the reality that he is what he is and trying to appreciate the effort that he puts out for for this club that we love so much. Yeah. Um, and the other guy I want to touch on real quick is Kulabali. And I'm question for you. Do you think it's has it gotten too late already for Kulabali? He gets on the field and we're like, okay. And at the beginning of the season, we were very excited and Kulabali is going to be something. Right. He's got a lot of pace. He's got a lot of potential, but I don't feel like he's done anything with that the entire season. He reminds me if we stick with the NBA theme back a while, a few, maybe a decade or so ago, you would have high school kids or first year college kids who would go to the NBA and they had all the raw physical talent, but they had missed development into developing their skills. And the number of high school kids that eventually only lasted a year or two because they couldn't have, they couldn't develop the skills necessary for that next level was actually, it was quite sad and a, a lot mm -hmm. of like broken stories. Cool volume reminds me of that a little bit. I think when he came up, he had so much initial success. I think he had that early goal against Dortmund, and then he scored a goal later against Bayern, two of the best teams in the Bundesliga. Mm -hmm. Really hasn't done anything since then. And I almost think the team has done him a bit of a disservice by keeping him with the, the Bundesliga roster. Yeah. And maybe not giving him some you know, regional league action so that he can get his confidence and work on some of those, those skills. Because I just, Koulibaly, I think, has the skills, the physical tools, but I just don't see him having the development to finish, to, to put passes together. I, I, I don't know what he does. Right. So I don't think it's too late. He's still crazy young. I don't think he's, what, 20, 21? Yeah, I'm not prepared I, to answer that question. <laughs> <laughs> I think he needs more development. I, I'm not yeah. ready to give up on him, but I don't know where he plays. And I, I think he's just so raw. And I maybe because of all the injuries we had, we've had to rely on him the last two years. And we got this kind of overinflated sense of what he is. I don't think the team is ready to give up on him because he's so young. And that's kind of what our philosophy is. And we're going to be missing a lot of guys after this season, no matter what happens. Uh, so I think he still has a spot on the club. I just don't know what that spot, I don't know what that spot is. Right. Yeah. You know who does have a spot on the club though is Derek Ray. So Derek, a shout out to you. Uh, the last two times that Derek has called a Stuttgart Bayern game when it is the last home Bayern match, Stuttgart has four points out of a possible six. Uh, we won four to one a couple of years ago. We got the two to two draw here. So Derek, if you're not busy, anytime we play Bayern at home, I think you know what you need to do. I think we need to figure out who's assigning announcing duties for ESPN in general and see if we can guess their password to the account system <laughs> that does that and just get Derek Ray assigned to all of our games. Because he's it a is. closet sugar fan. Uh, he's, come on. Yeah, he, he always has some really nice things to say about the uh, the boys in white and red. You know, what's crazy though, is I, I looked it up and the last, over the last 21 years, Stuttgart has played Bayern at home on their last home match uh, six times. And even though we're only one win and one draw and four losses, the goal diff is 10 goals for Bayern, nine for Stuttgart. 
So there is something weird. Stewart plays them tough year in and year out that last match. And it's just a strange, odd trend that you throw out there. But getting that 2-2 draw again at one point was huge for us. It was so huge that as we move on to part two, nobody asked any questions this week. So There, there was nothing to question. Everything was perfect. Everything was, <laughs> was great. Right. The only big news is our U-17 team lost the – championship to Schalke three to four. So that's a bit of a, a heartbreaker. And the team, Matt, I don't know if you know this, has broken out a special kit for this final home match of the season. Do you hear that? So I just saw that this morning on uh, on Reddit. Uh, shout out to the Reddit community and anybody from there who listens to this nonsense because uh, they're <laughs> huge for, for primarily English speakers looking for Stuttgart news. There's a good crew of people over there that translate a lot of stuff for uh, us Yahoos who have really weak German skills. They only, they replaced the Sud Milch logo, which was the 1992 uh, logo with Mercedes Benz one. So that's uh, different there, but yeah, I actually have the 1992 replica one at home. I put my dog in it when things are desperate because <laughs> <laughs> I tried to wear it once. And I was like, Oh my God, this is uh, it's like I'm back in high school now. So it's, <laughs> yeah. It's coming out here. So it is kind of interesting what the Stuttgart uh, website said about this is so, you know, it's from the 1992 championship season. It's a lucky charm for the last Bundesliga home match that they won to clinch the title. And underneath that, it says, while their position on the table is a little different this time, it <laughs> still, still crucial. So those are the two big stories, the U-17 team making it to the title and the new special kit for the last game. So hopefully that special kit gets us some good luck going into this final match. It can't hurt. Can't. So let's talk. Yeah. So one one other thing I want to talk mention with this jersey. If you look at like highlights from 1990s professional soccer, all the guys, their jerseys look huge on them. Mm -hmm. And that was just the style at the time. Everything was ultra baggy. Mm -hmm. Mafropanos is the one modeling this in this picture. And it even looks like around the arms, it looks a little bit like it's got the trim fit through the waist and through the chest, but the arms and the shoulders. It looks baggy. Like they might as well have just pulled this thing out of mothballs and slapped a Mercedes crest on it. <laughs> it's not for me, but hats off to whoever designed this thing and put it out. They did a fantastic job. Yeah, it, it definitely takes you back. There's no no doubt about that. So hopefully it takes us back to Bundesliga one action next season as well. All right, let's get into the predictions for next week. So Matt, last week you went five and four, Jeff went five and four, and now overall you have 141 wins to 141 losses with your predictions. I have 148 wins to 135 losses. Jeff and Austin are battling it out. They both have, one has 137, the other has 136. Matt, though, I got some bad news for you. You are about to get relegated in our Stuttgart only picks. Uh -oh. You've got 13 wins, Austin's got 15. I've got 16 and Jeff has got 18. He's predicted the most accurately. So you got to get this one right. Um, the problem is I keep picking Stuttgart to win. So and we haven't been doing much of that lately. Oh, yeah, let's get into that. So we are hosting FC Cologne, Hennis, as we like to call them. They have been on a tear. They have won four of their last five. Uh, they lost a squeaker to Wolfsburg. Zero to one, but they, if you look at the stats, they just dominated the stats there. It's weird because they have nothing to play for, but spoiler, 
because they wrapped up seventh place, which this season is going to qualify for the Europa Conference League uh, Championship. They, they can't catch Freiburg because of the goal difference situation. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if they have anything to play for or if it even matters. We've played these guys over 100 times, all time. We have 35 wins to their 41 wins. Uh, the last three, though, we are 1-1-1 one, one, and one if you include the Pokal match. Modesta scored all the goals for them in there, so I think we know what the strategy is. Uh, we had a Sosa to Kalajic connection for our last goal. Although the last 10 that we played, it's even Steven, four wins for both sides, four losses for both sides, and two draws. All right, Matt. We win this match. Herta loses their match. It's simple math. We are safe. Um, what do you think? I think because we have more to play for, because it's at home and Mercedes Benz Arena is a big bump for this team, uh, I'm going to pick Stuttgart to win. I, I feel like Colmes, which I, maybe I shouldn't because I've been wrong all the time. <laughs> I know. But I, in, in my heart, that's what I want to see. And I feel like this is something that we can make happen. Yeah, I'm a bit more pessimistic on this one. I, I agree with everything you said. My concern is that Baumgart, the coach of Cologne, knows Stuttgart has to get three points. And I think all he has to do is sit back, let us have possession, and he is going to do what he likes to do, which is counterattack. And that plays right into their game. So I'm a little concerned about that. Obviously, I'll be pulling for Stuttgart, but with my heart, but with my head, I'm going to pick uh, Hennis in this one. Do you know what the uh, odds makers have the betting spread at? I'm going to say that Hennis by half a goal. It is Stuttgart by half a goal. So, oh. yeah, I'll definitely be rooting for Stuttgart to pull this one out. I just, there's, uh, I'm just concerned about the tactics of it. Like I said, Cologne knows we need it. And yeah. teams play bunker ball against us. We struggle with that. I admittedly, I have not allowed myself to think about the tactics of this game because I just want to come into it with blind optimism Mm -hmm. and hope that we win and are safe from a relegation playoff, which did not go so well the last time we had one. (laughs) Those Um, playoffs. Yeah. Not good. But you're you're totally right. If Colm plays bunker ball and counterattacks against us, the way we've been finishing this season, like that could be a death knell. I definitely hope I'm wrong because I. Could you imagine what the scene would be like if we, we are able to pull this out and we find out that Hertha is losing to Dortmund? Oh, my goodness. That place is going to go bananas. Yeah. So let's talk about that just for a second. Because so Stuttgart's in 16th place with 30 points. Uh, Hertha is in 15th place with 33 points. They're at Dortmund. Um, there was an 81-minute goal that really, uh, by Mainz, to uh, sink Herta in that match. So that helped keep our, our situation alive. What do you think about that one? The Herta Dortmund one. It, news broke that uh, Holland is going to leave to the Premier League. Dortmund has nothing to play for other than it's their final home match. Herta has everything to play for just to get a point and they're, they're safe. So how do you see that one playing out? This is a match I've thought about way more than I have the uh, Stuttgart Hennis match. Um, <laughs> I had a conversation with a friend of mine at work who's a Dortmund fan, and he's mostly lamenting the fact that they're losing Holland and complaining that Dortmund can't keep anybody around. And I was like, dude, you are crying to the choir here. 
<laughs> but I, so I, I'm of two minds of this. On one hand, my Dortmund buddy thinks this is what's going to happen, that Holland's checked out, that he's going to walk out there and his only concern is going to be don't get hurt so he can leave and go to England. I'm kind of of the opinion that I, Holland's a showboat. He is a huge showboat. He loves the yellow wall. The yellow wall loves him back. He's going to want to go out with a bang and score 20 goals and get all that adulation. And frankly, I hope he does. And I hope they sink her to and give us a chance at clean survival. Yeah, that would be the ideal situation there. I tend to be on your side of this. I think Dortmund's going to want to put on a show for the home fans. I, and Hertha's in a weird situation because if they just get a draw, they're safe. So are they going to go right. for it? Or are they going to just play bunker ball and try to counter? If they do that, I've got this weird feeling that that plays into Dortmund's hands. So I like, yeah. I like Dortmund in this one. Do you uh, any guesses on what the spread is for that one? Uh, where's this one? Oh, this is in Dortmund. Um, I'm going to guess they're Dortmund by one and a half. It's Dortmund by one in this one. Yeah. So it's going to be, okay. they've got Dortmund as the heavy favorite. So it'll be interesting to see what happens in this one. Um, real quick, before we get going, uh, the relegation matches. So we'll know after this weekend exactly what our future is. Bielefeld uh, is gone. They had an own goal, like I said, in the 89th minute. So they lost. They're three points behind us, but seven points via goal difference or seven goal uh, behind us. So they would have to beat Leipzig by seven to nil. And Leipzig still has Champions League aspirations to play for. So by all accounts, it's it's all but but over for Bielefeld. So the playoff matches will be May 19th on a Thursday, May 23rd on a Monday, home for the Bundesliga side, and then away the second match. I don't know if you've seen B2 in a while, but right now, as of today, Stuttgart would play our old friend Tim Walter and Hamburg. <laughs> of course we would. <laughs> <It's just Yeah. laughs> like, that, that would almost be a poetic way to end this season of colossal bad luck. Yeah, two bad teams <laughs> with yeah. history together. So yeah, so it's uh, congratulations to Shaga. They sewed up promotion. They can finish no worse than second place. Uh, big shout out to our old friend, Simone uh, Tarota for playing a key role. I think he scored 26 goals in 27 matches or something ridiculous like that. So that dude, call, yeah, that dude is just a, he's, he's as vitally a superhero. Yeah, and I, I don't understand how it doesn't translate to the first division. Maybe it's because he always plays on crap teams, but I have nothing but love and respect for Toronto. Yeah, and hopefully he can uh, have some success in the first division before he, he hangs it up because he's just, I want to say that's his fourth team he's been on that he's helped get promoted. So, I mean, the guy's, I, the guy's just money when it comes to this stuff. So, yeah, uh, congratulations to them. So, the, the B2 table is crazy, right? So, Right now, Hamburg is in third, Bremen is in second, and Darmstadt is in fourth. All three of them have a chance at either second place or third place, depending on what happens in their matches. So without getting into all the math here, I mean, the B2 table is going to be crazy. I think they play the day before we do. So we'll know who the third place team is going into our match. Hopefully we don't have to play them, but any thoughts on the second tier and 
is it too soon to say we want to play one versus the other? I, I hope it's too soon. Uh, <laughs> I don't want to play any of them. I, I don't. As much as I love watching Stuttgart play football, I don't want to watch any more Stuttgart football this year. <laughs> I want to see one more win and then be done and, and not worry about this. But just I think probably Darmstadt or St. Pauli would be the, the more desirable. They've got the less imposing goal differential. Hamburg looks like they're a team that can score. And that's what I would worry most about in a in a playoff I and mean, we still got that stupid away goal rule right. to deal with which is what sunk us last year so i don't i, I don't want to play any of them i know i the last time we were in this situation it was between paderborn who scored a ton of goals and union berlin who didn't score any goals and i said i want union berlin bring it on because we can score and they can't and it turned out we can't yeah. score either. So I'm not going to ask for any of these teams like you. I'm going to ask, <laughs> I'm going to ask for the season to be over just so I can uh, celebrate the rest of uh, the summer in the first tier. So we'll find out a lot here, but I will leave with this, Matt. If Stuttgart pulls out the incredible, really, saving the season, getting a win, mm -hmm. Dortmund helps us out, we survive, whose jersey are you going to pay an astronomical amount of money for with shipping to wear next year? Uh, well, I did get called out on Twitter <laughs> about my, my naysaying of Florian Muller and how he basically saved us in the Bayern game. If he has a similar performance and we win and it keeps us up, uh, I will be purchasing a shirt with Florian Muller Flocka on the back of it and paying absurd shipping to get it delivered to my Michigan home. <laughs> yeah, I was going to do whoever scores or whoever whoever scores the winning goal. That's been the thing I've been saying the last couple of weeks. And because Stuart doesn't score winning goals, I've been able to save <laughs> so much money. So I was going to say whoever scores the winning goal, I hope it's somebody completely random like, I don't know, Enzo Millen, or, <laughs> or they get Fabian Bredlow off the bench for some reason, and he scores a goal like that. But uh, I, Maybe Baez will come in on an emergency substitution, and your, your world will be complete. The circle of life will have oh my gosh, that's filled right. in, and you can celebrate massively. I'll, I'll get Matarazzo on the back there or something. <laughs> With some weird math equation where the number should be. <laughs> yeah, dad bod 2.0. Right? <laughs> All right, Matt. Well, hopefully next week we'll have Jeff on, we'll have you on, and we will be just super duper hungover because we're so happy about what happened <laughs> over the course of the weekend. So, Matt, thanks again for joining us this episode, and we'll see you next time. Sounds great. Thanks, Travis.